Steve, uh, in his prayer, thanking the Lord uh, for the message, is like the little little boy that was hearing the prayer before they ate, and they were thanking the Lord for the food, and afterwards said, why do we thank the Lord for the food before we eat? We don't even know if we like it. <laughs> and so quite uh, related to the message as well, you're not going to know whether this is a message you can thank God for until you hear it, but we'll, uh, we'll do that by faith. As I, as I was looking at the, the, mess, the passage we're going to be looking at this morning, and I was looking back at last week, and particularly we already had an emphasis on a challenge for prayer, is I'm reminded of that story of a pastor who came to um, be the new pastor at a church, and he preached his first sermon, and then uh, came back the next week, and he preached the same sermon, and then they were kind of wondering about that, and came back the third week, and he preached the same sermon for a third time, and they said, uh, well, we really liked it the first time, it wasn't too bad the second time, but the third time, we were wondering, do you have any other sermons? And he said, well, I'm going to preach the same sermon until you start applying it. <laughs> And as I was thinking about that this past week, I was, uh, I was struggling that myself as we looked at last week in that section in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer is I looked at my own life and said, you know, this, this could be preached to my own heart over and over and over again. Because it's so easy when you go to talk with God where you can talk with God hypocritically, superficially, and thoughtlessly. And that happens all the time as we are just in the middle of speaking words up to heaven and we're wondering, are we really thinking about what we're saying? Do we really mean what we're uh, talking to him about? Or somehow are we just doing it out of habit? That's a good habit, and many in the life groups this past week say there's a fourth way we can pray uh, in a poor way, and that's not to pray at all. And I think God delights in us in the journey of prayer, and there are times that we're going to fail in that journey. But as we pursue prayer, we uh, ought to passionately not want to do it hypocritically, superficially, or thoughtlessly. Also, as I was thinking about it, in fact, this past week, I don't know if you found yourself, if you were here last week, looking at your prayer life and saying, does, does it fit the model? Does it fit the template or the example of Jesus? And in the Lord's Prayer, and it's a part of the Our Fathers, if you've had that tradition, uh, you know, I had uh, one person uh, last Sunday say, you know, I prayed that prayer for 50 years and had no idea what it meant. Now, that can be true of us in many things that we do spiritually. That we're, we're doing it, we're going through the motions, but is it, is it, really, is it really meaningful? Is it, is it connecting? And so this past week, I was re-preaching that message to me over and over again. Is my prayer life filled with praise? When I talk with God, am I really renewing my commitment? Do I want His kingdom to come? Is it His will that I'm after? And then as I ask, am I asking for physical needs, but also for the spiritual needs of others? And then is there a yearning for purity? Do I really want to be more like Christ? Do I want to be more faithful to to live out His plan? And so as we think about looking at the best sermon ever, which is the sermon that Jesus preached, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of those things where even though the sermon can be read probably in 10 or 12 minutes, uh, there's so much in here that challenges us to the core of who we are. And maybe you've come in here this morning, maybe you're kind of on the outside looking in, you're still thinking, I'm not really sure about this Christianity thing. Well, really, as Jesus gave a truckload of challenging truths in his message, there was a singular message as well. And that singular message is that, that we can't even approach God unless we come to that point where we recognize that we are poor in spirit. That the, the message of Jesus is that we desperately need the work of the cross in our life because we're not good enough on our own. 
There's no way we could even talk with God based on our own right living, righteousness. And if we don't, if we don't get it, the message of Easter, but every Sunday. In fact, as you think about why the first church moved worship from Saturday to Sunday, is because they wanted to celebrate the resurrection. And so every Sunday is a commemoration of that day in which Jesus rose from the grave. We serve not a, a dead Savior, but a risen Savior. And so every day is a day in which we can celebrate that Jesus brought us victory uh, through his work on the cross. But as that is a backdrop, and, and those things that as we hear the word of God, as we hear truth, they, some of those truths ought to linger with us as we say, well, how, how does that apply in my, my lifestyle of living it out? We, we see Jesus moving on. He, he moves on, and, and now he goes, I guess you could say, from the heavenly to the very earthy. He, he talks about you know, the things that we have to struggle with on a daily basis beyond feeling brought into the presence of God through prayer or through interaction with his word or fellowship or, or service that seems to be so directly related to him. Uh, now he, he speaks to those you know, 24-7 experiences that, that are beyond you know, signing up for a prayer time, but, but living out day by day as things happen in life and, and how do you live it? Well, this morning, if you've had opportunity to, again, look at the outline, and I'm sure sometimes if you look at my outlines, you get kind of scared, saying there's, there's too much stuff here, I was going to get through it, how fast he's going to speak, and I never know how fast I'm going to speak, because when, when, when I get pumped, I just speak faster, that's, that's uh, what happens, and every Sunday, it's, there's great stuff here, whether I can communicate in a great way, uh, but there's great truth out of God's word. But this morning, I want to give you the simple truths, and then I, then I want to kind of pick and look at some of the, the bones and the skeleton within it. Jesus is going to speak really on two areas in the passage we're going to look at. He's going to talk about wealth, and he's going to talk about worry. Or, or put it another way, and this is how I put it in your outline, he, he's going to ask us two questions in terms of how we live our life. And if, if we are part of God's family, or we're considering part of God's family, this touches down right to the core of who we are. And that's where are we really seeing life in its fullest experienced? What are we pursuing in life? What really makes our life alive? Or as I put it in the first question in your outline this morning is, how important is your wish list? And you could even put it this way. What, what is on your wish list? What is it that if, if you had everything that you wanted in this life, what would, what would that be that brought you the ultimate happiness? And, and Jesus is going to speak to that. He, he's going to speak to that. There are people who, I mean, everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to have life to its fullest. Everyone wants to experience everything that would bring joy to a person's life. And he asked them, well, what really is on your wish list? What are you pursuing? Now, he's really already answered the question. It, 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 there ought to be one singular thing that's on your wish list, and that's to really know God and know him deeply. Because everything else flows from that. That, that he, he is the source of life to its fullest. That's the singular point on the Sermon on the Mount. And everything else kind of amplifies that. And really, he's going to speak about the non-essential things that we pursue. I mean, the things, the toys in life that are fun to have. And God 
brought all those things into our experience, but what's on the top of your wish list? But then he's going to take it on the other side of that coin. He's going to say, well, what are the things in your life that, that uh, is on your worry list? And, and often these are the essential things. When things go wrong, when things are not only like going wrong, but you think are going to get worse, will that rob you of your joy? What's on your worry list? Can you, can you trust God for the fun things in life and you can trust, things, trust God for the things in your life that will take away all your fun and take away everything that's dear to you? Well, that's what Jesus is going to say and, and we're going to try to balance looking at the text and throwing out a few other texts throughout Scripture because this theme is, is throughout the Scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. You need, to, you need to look at that. We don't have that in the outline this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to you. Matthew chapter 6. How important is your wish list? And he's going to really ask three questions within this. What do you treasure? What do you really see? And, and who do you really serve? Jesus is speaking and right after he, he talks about, again, the heavenlies. About talking with the, the supreme being in this universe, the creator. The one who sent his son for us. And he says this. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's on your wish list? Where is your heart? Is it wrapped up in the things of this world? It's interesting, there's a play on word in the original language there. It really is, where, do you, what do you treasure? What are, the, what are you treasuring for your treasure? And he says, now you can look at it in a couple different ways. You can, you can treasure those things that will not last, that either insects will destroy. Do you have any mothballs in your closet? Have you ever had anything eaten by various insects or whatever? He said, that happened back then, it happens today. Uh, do you have any things that if it left out in the, in the environment will rust? I was talking to, to uh, Alan, and he's got uh, a vehicle that if he takes it out when it rains, it will rust and you have to redo it completely. Uh, do, you, do you treasure in, in those things that, that people could actually take? Have any of you had anything stolen in your life? Great experience, isn't it? My, my parents, it was right before Christmas, uh, one season, I don't even remember what year it was. They had all the presents in the garage. In fact, it was in their vehicle because they were going to be taking those to the, the kids' house, which would have been our houses and my brother's house. And right before Christmas, someone broke it in their garage and took it all. Now, that's not a happy experience. And Jesus is not saying put a silly smile on when something bad happens to you. But what is it you really treasure in this world? That if somehow it was taken from your life, your life would fall to pieces. And he said, if you're treasuring in that which will not last, then your joy is so easy to be robbed, taken from you. This, uh, this past week, I got a haircut. And uh, as I was sitting in the chair, the, 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 the barber was saying, oh, and they were saying, well, we've all been talking today. And I said, what have you been talking about? I said, the, the, the lottery has got up to $200 million. This, this, we're, I, don't, I don't follow the lottery. but it was, and they were, oh, We're all going to put in our whatever to get the lottery. Have you ever studied the people who win the lottery? I mean, so often, it's not very long until they're bankrupt. I was reading some things even this past week. Did you hear about that guy who, who won the lottery? 
and it was $38.5 million. And he actually had done it in the office, and I guess there were six other people with him. And once he won, because he brought the ticket in, he wanted to keep all $38.5 million, which I guess after tax was around $24 million. But uh, they went to court against him. And so now he had to give back some of the money. And he was distraught because he bought a little ticket. He only got $4 million out of the whole thing. Did you read about the, the family that decided that they were going to divide it among their family? And then what happened is two of their family members actually killed them for the rest of it. You see, you know, people who, you know, if you win the lottery, if I, you know, I, I don't play the lottery, but if, some, if, I, if I picked up a lottery on, on the ground and it won, I'd keep the money. I'm not against keeping the money, but that's not the source of my, uh, my, my happiness. And, and he was saying to, to those who were religious leaders, that, look, at happiness is not in the things you have. It was interesting, he was particularly speaking to religious people, to people like us. He said, don't you treasure those things that, that people in this world long for, feeling that your happiness is bound up in that. Remember the experience of Job? He had everything, and then he lost everything. Should I praise God for when he does that which is good for me and, and then curse him when, when evil happens? And, and so we all have to ask ourselves, if, if something on my wish list never happens, will that rob me of my joy? Isn't there something more substantive than that? In your outline this morning, I, I, I put a couple cross-references. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these things, and they derided him, Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who lustily uh, who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. Now, 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 God has blessed people in a variety of different ways, but those who are really blessed with things, with material blessing... They realize that's, that's not the source of the joy. It's not, it's not the end. It's only a means to an end. Essentially, you, know, you ever wonder why Jesus could say this? In fact, when I first read that, you're talking about those religious people who were lovers of money? And then I began to think, you know, when Ananias and Caiaphas were high priests, they were some of the richest people in Jerusalem. And when Jesus cleansed the temple, he did it twice, in John chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 21. The reason he did that is because the religious leaders were getting all the profits. This was a problem back then as well as today where we are caught up in thinking that our happiness is dependent upon that which we are able to gain from this world. Now, it's not money that is evil, but it's loving money. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, he's not saying don't enjoy what you have, but don't make that the ultimate source of your joy. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to... What's the next word there? Enjoy. Enjoy what you have, but if you lose it, don't make that all of what life is about. You know, just interesting. Um, the, God does bless some people financially more than others. Some people, 
can get it the wrong way and some people can get it the right way. Some people can get it through greed and deceit and dishonesty. But some people get it because they work hard and they work smart. And, and we ought to just thank God there. There are people like that who are very successful. And the Bible says a lot about money. But look at Proverbs 14, 23. It's not in your outline. In all labor there is profit, but, men, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Some people don't have a lot because they don't work a lot. Now, there are other reasons why people have less things than others. But sometimes it's simply because they don't work hard. Proverbs 28, 19 says, He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who fo- uh, follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. Some think people work hard, but in the wrong places, and they do not gain much. It's interesting, in the New Testament... It is said that there are about 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer, and over 2,000 verses on money. Out of the parables that Jesus gave, uh, out of 38 parables, 16 of them are on financial resources. It is said that one out of every 10 verses is on money. Uh, The Bible has a lot to say about that. But he wants us to realize that like Paul, and we'll make reference to this a number of times, Paul learned to, to be happy and content whether he had a lot or very little. And the verse that we often want to quote, it's kind of the Tim Tebow verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is related here. That I can find joy whether I have a lot or little as long as I'm following God's plan. And so Jesus, right after talking about prayer, says, okay, do not treasure things that will not fulfill the hole in your heart and your soul. Treasure that which will last forever. He goes on, in fact, fact, what time is it already? I'm not going to get through my first point. You you read the the story of the Crystal Cathedral? Okay. Um, You know, now they're they're in the court. They try to settle within the the church, which is what the Bible very clearly says. um, Both sides apparently did not like what either side was saying as far as what is... is, uh, do the family, the founding uh, pastor of that church, uh, Robert Schuler, and, and now he's afraid of his future. Why? Because he might not get 5.5 million from the church. It doesn't have, doesn't appear to have a whole lot of compassion for the 12.5 million that are due people from the church. Now, somehow, somehow within that, people went astray, and. and Wrong beliefs will dictate wrong behavior. When you preach a message of prosperity and then prosperity does not result, (laughs) what happens? And so we need to understand that that God has called us simply to trust Him and to follow Him faithfully and fully, but treasure Him beyond, beyond the treasures of this world. And that will impact how we live. And if God has blessed you, and he, he blessed many people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and that's, that's to be honored and praised. And, and the challenge for, for wherever we are on that continuum is, if God has blessed you, then don't put your, your trust in, in, in what you have. And if God has not given you what you think you want, then don't, don't doubt his ability to provide. Don't treasure that which will not last. 
real quickly, <laughs> moving on. Uh, that's what do you treasure? The other is what do you see? In Matthew 20, uh, 6, 22, he says this, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And really what he's saying here, it all begins as to what do you see? What are you looking at? What, what grabs you? You know, if uh, I was born with basically poor eyesight uh, for much of my life, uh, I had to wear glasses or contacts, whatever it might be. And for those of you who have gone through that experience, you know, if your glasses are dirty, you don't see what? Very well, okay? And he's basically saying if, if that which brings you direction in life, if you're not seeing it clearly, if it's, if it's marred with other stuff, you're not going to see what's important. In Proverbs 28, verse 22, it says, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. And then that passage we already alluded to, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to, be a, uh, to abound. And everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we need to see God more clearly, and we need to see what he has created more clearly. He has created everything for us to enjoy. But what we find most enjoyment is seeing his pleasurable hand upon our life. And seeing what's important, that which is eternal. That's what's going to last. And then he says some strong words. And not only what do you treasure and what do you see, but who do you serve? He goes on in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, therefore, I, I say to you, do not... Uh, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon is, is basically a word for money. Some translations use that. It, it really, uh, some actually in their translations interpret it, and they'll actually capitalize the, the word mammon or money because it becomes their God. And again, it's not, it's not having money. It's loving money beyond um, uh, it being simply a means to an end, it being the end for your life. And when that happens, you become a slave to that which is most important to you. And, and that's the po- point he's making. Who is most important to you? Who is your, your, your passion to, in life to, to serve? Romans 6.16 says this, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey? whether or not leading to death or of obedience, leading to righteousness. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. And really, it's what is foremost in your heart and mind. And if you are serving money, that will be your God. So what Jesus does in this, in this message, right after he speaks about prayer, he, he says, let me talk to you about who is wealthy in this world. Uh, the, the person who is wealthy in this world is the one who knows the one who creates all wealth. Don't treasure that which, is, that which will not last. Don't, don't be looking for that which is not important. And don't serve that which can grab your heart. I mean, I, you know, God can do a variety of things. I, I, 
I'll just tell you something happened to me this week. This week uh, um, on Wednesday, Alice went to, came to, to work and she was just like hacking. Anybody been got with that cold or flu or like that? She was hacking like crazy and, and uh, Jamie finally sent her home and stuff like that. So uh, we only came one car that day. So she went home and, and, uh, and then uh, I, I was here a little late and I go, I don't have a car here. <laughs> so I go, I was going to bum ride off John, but I didn't think he'd really take me home. So I, was, I decided I'd walk. I, I saw him right before that. So I, I walked home. So I was walking home and, you know, I was walking and I wish I could say I was, my head was bowed and I was praying, but I was walking home, and all of a sudden I, I saw something on the, on the sidewalk. I saw something on the sidewalk, and, and it, 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 it looked like this. And I thought there was a one on it. And then I thought, hey, I think there's a one and a zero on it. And then you know what I found? There was a one and a zero and a zero on it. And I looked around, hoping no one was around I could give it back to. <laughs> and it was a place that no, I couldn't give it to anybody. I said, God just gave me $100. You know, things happen, all right? But sometimes things don't happen. Uh, we, we got, you, you, the lesson for today is walk home, all right? Don't be taking that car. <laughs> yeah, but other things happen too, which, which you think, hey, my ship came in. It really didn't. We, we got a thing from the United States Treasury uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, Jamie put it on my desk because it said Grace Hills Church and it had my name underneath it. And it was, it was even for more than $100. It was, it was almost $1,000. And it looked like, hey, the United States Treasury has now given me $1,000, $972 and change. But as I looked at that, and this is the second time this has happened to me. And, and as I began to look at it, I go, man, it's got my name on it, but this is not mine. <laughs> and, you know, if I cash it, they'll probably come back later and get it back from me. Okay. And, and now the good news, it might be for some other people on our staff, but it, it had my name on, but it really isn't for me. You know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, right? It is, you know, God can provide in so many different ways. You know, not only your needs, but beyond your needs. But those things that you can enjoy in life, don't make them the most important, the non-essentials. Make those things that are most important. But Jesus speaks to the other crowd in this next section, where he now talks about the things that, that we need to live on. And when something that we desperately need is not there, then we begin to worry. And Jesus said, do not worry. Don't fill your life with anxiety, with anxious thoughts. And so we're going to quickly see that this morning. Is it really worth worrying about? Even, even the essentials of life. And what are the essentials? Well, let's put it this way. How about food? We all need to eat, don't we? Well, how about clothing? We, we can't go through this life naked. We have to have something that covers our, our, our body. If, if not for, for, uh, for, for uh, embarrassment's sake, is for just being able to survive in the environment. Well, how about our future? Well, Jesus says, do not worry. And in fact, if there's any verse in the Scripture or passage or, or concept in the Scripture that, that really brings us back to living by faith is how much of our life is spent bent with anxious thoughts, worrying about what's going to happen next. And Jesus, he speaks so powerfully to this. Let's, let's look at it real quickly. How about even in the area of food? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your, your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, that's a rhetorical question. So, well, I'm sure it's got to be yes, but if you think about it, well, man, that's a tough one. I mean, if I don't eat, I'm not going to be able to live. If I don't have clothes on, how am I, how am I going to live? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? Uh, that's an interesting phrase. They're not sure what that means, adding height to your height or adding length to your life. But, but either way you look at it, say, well, those things are important and needful, but, but does worrying about it bring you more food? And the answer to that is what? No, no, worrying, anxiety is not productive behavior. And so he's radically saying to it, why spend time doing that which will not help you? You know, why worry when you can pray? And he says, by the way, if you just look at it, you know, there is a good God out here that has shown himself to be faithful. And he says, well, you know, just look around you. Look at, look at the... Uh, Look at the birds. I mean, they don't spend a whole lot of time worrying. And yet, they're provided for. And so if, if, words can, if birds can live a life free from worry, why, why wouldn't God's people who He's created His own image live those kind of lives as well? Uh, and hopefully this, this analogy is true for most of you, but when you were a child and you were in a home and, and, and um, you went through the practice of eating one or two or three meals a day, hopefully three meals a day. Did you spend a whole lot of time worrying about whether there's going to be food on the table? Not at all. Because you trusted that somehow your parents are going to put food on that table. Now, there could have been a lot of reasons why they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do that. Some of you have been in experiences where that didn't happen as often as maybe other families. But I remember when I was growing up, I didn't worry at all about food. Now, now as, a, as a parent afterwards, you know, now when I became a parent, I had to provide the food on the table, then I started to worry a little bit about it. But when, when I was just there, I, I just enjoyed the food. And, and that's what he's saying. Look at the, look at the birds. They, they're provided on a, on a faithful, regular basis. And if that is true for birds, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. What is, what is greater? The, the people he's creating in his image or those little birds? The people he's created in his own image. And if I provide for them, I'll provide for you. Now, I, I want to throw this in to begin with because have there been people who, who know God that they ended up not having enough food to eat? Of course, the answer to that is yes. But let's again argue from the greater or the lesser. What's the worst thing that could happen to you this life? You could die. Let me ask you, what's the best thing that could happen to you in this life? You could die. And God's going to provide, okay? If, 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 if God wants this to be over with, let it be over with. There, there have been people who've gone through persecution and are still going through persecution. That they, they are going to die in their faith. They're going to be martyrs for the faith. But until that time, God will provide everything that you need. Now we're talking about essentials. The other, the treasures, were non-essentials. If God gives them to you, enjoy them. If God doesn't give them to you, whether you have a lot or little, Enjoy life. But now he's talking about essential. If you don't have food, then trust that God will provide it. And if he doesn't provide it, the best thing that can happen in this world. This is radical thinking here. This, this, is, this is the radical understanding of, of the Christian life, is that no matter what happens, even the most important things, the worst thing that could happen to us is when we have a, a, a quick ticket up to heaven. Now, most of the time, God just provides and so he quit worrying, being anxious about even an essential like food. Jesus said, is it written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Treasure God's word as your food. A passage I really love in John chapter 4. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? 
isn't that sometimes, man, we, in America, man, we don't, we don't eat to live. We live to eat, man. It's, you know, Brandon is, uh, is the poster child for that. I'll pay her to tell him about food. I mean, we, we love eating. We can't eat, hardly spend time together without eating. And that's all right. We ought to enjoy, God has given us everything to enjoy. But Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that's not talking about being a you know, preacher or a professional Christian like I am. It's talking about being committed to do God's will. So even in the area of food, we don't really have to have that on our worry list. Well, how about clothing? Look at Matthew 6, 28 through 30. So why do you worry about clothes? Am I speaking fast today? Okay. So why, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into, into the oven, burned up, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I mean, the most beautiful thing in this world is God's creation. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, there are places you're just, I mean, just amazed at how he clothes our, our planet with that which can only be described as beautiful. And we don't do anything to make that happen. And so if God clothes this world in all that it needs in beauty, won't he now provide for us? Now, he was speaking to people that did not have a closet full of clothes. Many of them only had one piece of garment. I mean, they had one set. When that set got over, they had to get another set. You know, they had a, a tunic and a coat, and that was it. And he said, look it, you'll, you don't know where the next coat's going to come. You're working hard, doing all the things that God wants this trust that God will provide if you need it. Any of you, uh, uh, won't, won't, I'm, I'll, I'll skip that illustration. All right, let's, uh, let's look on. So how about food? How about clothing? How, how, about, uh, how about your future? Uh, oh, I, I got to read that passage in 1 Timothy 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing in this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. God will provide the essentials. Well, how about our future? Verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, now we know that God is not talking about that we should never save or plan for the future. We, we, could, we could throw up a lot of passages related to that. He's not talking about whether we don't do wise things about resources we have. But what he is saying is focus on today. Live in the now. There's enough, there's enough things to be concerned about, and where that line from concern to worry is crossed, I don't know. We're called to have concerns, but when it, when it crosses over where we worry, and what is worry? Worry is when we fundamentally doubt the promises and the power and the provisions and purposes of God. I put all those P's because everyone is significant. Uh, the promises of God. God promises He's going to provide. Uh, the, the power of God. God is able to provide provisions that God will specifically provide in areas that we need. But in the purposes of God, which is no matter what comes our way, there, there's a reason behind it, and God's going to use that. So it's not some random thing that happens to us. 
That, that God is involved in everything that happens in our life. And when we worry, we take responsibility for things God does not want us to take responsible for. Uh, control the things you can control, but don't try to control the things you can't control. And that's really what worry is. Worry is spending time about things you cannot control. Now, if it is something you can do, then take concern and put your efforts into it. And that, that's part of us living with God. But the things you can't control, why worry about them? Focus on today. I, I was reading an illustration about this. Well, let me at least read a couple passages, <laughs> at least one passage. Uh, even as you, as you think about your future, again, our future is provided for. Look at John 14, which is usually only read in times if we were having a, a funeral service, a memorial service. Let not your heart be troubled, which is let not your heart be filled with fear. Let not your heart be distracted with thoughts that aren't, aren't comforted by God. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. The, the greatest comfort is our future is settled, our most important future. You know, a reservation has been made, and, and we know it, it's, it's, it's signed in God's blood. I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and uh, uh, I've learned how to be, live in abundance and suffer in need. I, you know, have you ever been a five-star hotel, motel? For a variety of reasons, I've been in there, blessed a couple times where I've had that opportunity. But usually when I, I make uh, reservations, I don't go five-star, I go one-star. Okay, I, I went on Priceline, and I found the cheapest hotel, and I was at this conference, and I went there, and I drove up to it, and, you know, had the locked gates. There was a, there was, you had a bulletproof glass underneath it. You can think I'm crazy. But anyway, anyway, so I, I'm just being a good steward of the church's money. All right, so anyway, I went up to it, and here I'm there about, it was the conference got done. I was there at 9.30, knocked on the thing, you know, no one came to the, the window, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting, knocked on it, and finally someone came, and then I, I, I gave my reservation, so I don't have any record of you being reserved here. I'm thinking, this is kind of late to get a reservation now, you know. Anyway, I was able to work it out, but, but you know, when we get to heaven, and if we've really settled it here, we don't have to be fearful about when we get to that hotel, motel, that there's a there's room at the end for us, and, and that's what he's saying here. You, you've got the most important things settled. I, I was reading a quote by, by, uh, Charles Mayo, who started the Mayo Clinic, I don't know if you're familiar with that prestigious place, and he says, you know, uh, when people worry, you know, the circulation changes, your heart changes, the, the whole nervous system is affected, and he said, I, I've, I've never known anybody really to die from overworking, but I've known a lot of people die from worry. And, and he's not saying that we don't participate in life. You know, he, he made analogies from the human, from this, the, the, physical, the physical creative universe. I was reading about trees. You know, you know, trees don't worry a whole lot about how much water they're getting and how much minerals, but it, God provides. But it doesn't mean they're not part of that, that process. They've, they've, they've determined this. The amount of work or labor or energy for a, a, just a large tree to bring up water and minerals on a, on a daily basis is the amount of energy, it says, for a human being to carry 300 buckets of water uh, two at a time, up, up 10 feet of, of stairs, uh, one at a time. And, and so there's a lot, of, a lot of things happening when that tree, when it pulls up water and minerals to feed itself. And, and we're in part of the process of life. Life happens, and we're not passive. But as, as we are active, God is more active. And he's calling us to be people that don't put our trust in wealth and pursuing wealth and not to put our trust even those things that are most essential. 
but tr- believing that God will provide. Now, now, as we think about that this morning, I guess the, the fundamental question, can you really trust God? If you can't, you can't say that in the affirmative, then you're still on the outside looking in. But if you come to that place where you can say yes, now, now the challenge is to apply it in every part of our life. And then even as we were challenged this morning, is to recognize there is a, there is a sea of people in our community and around the world that they are pursuing that which will not satisfy, which is the treasures of this world. And there's even probably a greater sea of people in this world that are filled with the worries of this world. Their life doesn't matter what the, where they are on the, on the economic line of comparison. They're filled with anxious thought because they don't know about their future. And we have the opportunity to give good news to those who desperately need it. Let's pray. Father, this is a challenge for all of us where we live because it's so easy to get caught up in that which is not important. But to realize that we do do life. We do have to provide in physical ways and put food on the table and clothing and and pursue life. But in the midst of that, Father, help us never make that the end, but only a means to the end. And help us just to faithfully use what you've given us to pursue your kingdom and work. Now, Father, as we have opportunity to to give unto you and to worship you, uh, take these uh, truths and and apply them to our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.